Well, welcome everyone. Uh, we're so glad to see you all here this morning. Uh, we've got a lot to go through today, and I'm excited as we close out our Proverbs series. Um, if you are newer with us, again, welcome. We honor you. We're thankful you're here with us. Um, Maybe you've missed a week or two. Just so you know, you can always catch up at pomerado.com slash messages. Uh, but also, on the back side of your notes, you will see uh, the main points in the past four weeks. And so, um, we are closing the series this morning. Um, and we're going to talk about a topic that... Um, might be a little hard for us and might strike a little close to home. I know it struck me um, as I was preparing for it. But before we dive into the actual topic itself, what I want to do um, is just ask a quick, get a quick uh, poll. How many of you have gotten either the cold or the flu in the past month? Past month. How many of you got it? Oh, that's actually not that bad. Past two months? Three months? Four months? I'm just kidding. Like, it's not like it's an auction. I don't know. Um, uh, so... The reason I bring it up is that uh, my family was hit with a cold this past week, um, cold and flu. So Elise got it first. Um, and I always joke about how like our girls don't always like to share toys, but they love to share germs. And so uh, they are actually pretty good at sharing. That's okay. So Shaylin got it after Elise. Then Steph got it, my wife. And so um, it's one of those where the whole family starting to get sick kind of by early to midweek. And so I was just praying. I was either like, you know, Lord, help me to get sick like on Tuesday so I'm ready to preach on Sunday or like just pass over me like the angel of the Lord in Exodus 12. That'd be great too. Um, and so I got passed over. And so thankfully so far, and then all of you like, well, I mean, let's hope I don't get sick this week. She's like, you're a liar. Um, but no, so, so far I've been able to stay healthy. I think it's the Y chromosome, but I don't know chemistry or genealogy. So um, we're looking at that. It's neither of those things. That's the best part. We look at this idea of, we start to get the symptoms, like you could just see, like we see our daughter and she's just tired and she gets the sore, like a cough and a little bit of a sore throat. Um, then you start to see like kind of the, the, the nasally congestion and waking up in the night. And so there's times in which, you know, I might get like a sore throat when I wake up, like, oh my gosh, am I getting sick? And oftentimes it might just be like the weather is cold, right? And so it's like, okay, I'm not actually sick. It just, you know, I drink some water and I'm feeling better. But when it comes to like these different illnesses, like we could start to look at different symptoms. And once you start to check off enough of those symptoms, you could kind of diagnose yourself as being sick. And so you kind of have that moment, maybe you're like me, when you start to notice, oh no, like you could feel it coming. And it's like the achiness is starting to come, the cold, the throat, all that stuff. And you know it's coming and you're able to diagnose it and then you take care of yourself and try to heal. And, and sometimes you have that cough that kind of lingers for a while, uh, which is the worst. And so we have this idea of this illness of, of when we're sick that can happen and it's kind of, we see the signs, we see the symptoms and we can prepare. Today we're going to talk about a sickness, an illness, a sin, a struggle that is less obvious. Because what happens when there are things that we don't always see the signs and the symptoms for right off the bat? And what, in order to illustrate this sin, struggle, sim, um, sickness of, of laziness, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, and so I just, you know, want to be able to show, it's actually like a three-minute clip, so it's a little bit longer than a normal clip we would show, uh, but it's from the movie WALL-E. Can I get a show of hands? How many of you seen the movie WALL-E? Wonderful. Okay, great. So if you're unaware of the movie WALL-E, it came out in 2008 or 2009, I forget, but it's this idea that the, the earth had just gotten so filled with waste and with like, you know, with trash and everything that the humans like left off into the spaceship and like are just circling in space uh, in a, in a uh, excuse me, a spaceship called Axiom, 
and they, for hundreds of years, they just kind of left the earth because it was so bad. And then Wally, the main character, is a robot who, you know, just kind of like compacts the trash and collects things. He's very cute. And he, uh, it's kind of where we see, he's the main character we follow. What happens is they end up, he ends up finding like uh, a plant, like actual greenery, which there hadn't been any life on earth for so long. And so this, you know, this other robot comes, Eve, Eva, as he says it, and, you know, takes it with, with her. And they end up, they both end up on the spaceship Axiom. And they both try to, you know, we start to see the whole story and we'll, we'll get to the rest of it later. Um, but what I want to do is the reason I'm showing this clip is because, it was made 11 and 12 years ago, and you're gonna see humans um, there that have everything at their fingertips, that they reach out for their hands and, it's, and there's food there. They have a screen and they talk to each other and everything is available to them. And it's kind of a satire, kind of a, a commentary that Pixar did you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago to say, what would it look like if the over-availability of all this technology got to the point where we didn't talk face to face, we spoke screen to screen. What would that look like to the nth degree, to the extreme degree? And so we're gonna watch a couple minutes of this clip to kind of see what it looks like um, at the nth degree of just kind of having everything available. And the, the state that humans were in when they hadn't needed to walk, they hadn't needed to move, and everything was available to them. Now, real quick, if you are watching online, I just wanna give you a quick thing uh, that you can type in on YouTube, uh, Wally Fitless Humans, if you wanna watch the clip with us, uh, because we don't have video. So, uh, with that said, uh, let's watch this clip for a couple minutes together um, and look at what uh, this looks like to the nth degree. So let's hover over to the driving range and hit a few virtual balls in space. Now we did that yesterday. I don't want to do that. Well, then what do you want to do? I don't know. Something. Wow. Make a place. Screams jealous. No, it doesn't sound Look, I'm tired of it. So we'll explain to all If you can't fool the straw, no, no, you have to do something any good. Oh, 
shoppers. Try blue. It's the new red. the sermon. I wanted you guys to see what a lazy sermon looked like, so I wanted to embody it for you. So we're going to watch a clip and go home. Um, no, so we look at that. Obviously, it's an extreme example. But again, it's this idea. We have everything available to us. And, and when they first start, you know, this idea of having everything available, no one sees the nth degree of this underlying sickness of, Ill, of laziness that can now cause them to not be able to move, not to be able to do this stuff, to have screens everywhere, and, and to be so overwhelmed by being called to purchase things and like everything you need to make you happy. And it's like, we fall into that. And what ends up happening is that then a disease can come, an illness can come, a sickness that can come that goes under the surface in our walk with God. And we, we don't even see it when it's happening, but it's these different symptoms of what it means to be lazy in our walk with God. Frederick D. Huntington, he wrote this, when it comes to this idea of, of, the need to not be lazy in our faith. He said, it is not scientific doubt, not atheism, not pantheism, not uh, agnosticism, excuse me, that in our day and in this land is likely to quench the light of the gospel. It is a proud, sensuous, selfish, luxurious, church-going, hollow-hearted prosperity. And that was written in the 1800s. This idea that it's so easy for us to just go about our church-going life and go about just kind of what's comfortable and everything's at, on demand and at our fingerprints or fingertips, and we miss out on the work that we've been created to do a good work through Christ Jesus. He's prepared us for it. J. Vernon McGee puts it more succinctly when he says, I think one of the great sins among Christians today is laziness. So as we look at this idea today, we're going to have our main point to say, what are some symptoms for what it looks like if we are acting lazy in our walk with God? And then how does that impact not just us, but those around us? As our main point says, most illnesses rob us of our health for a while. We have a cold, we have a flu. It robs us for a while. My girls are starting to get better. It robs us for a while, but laziness robs us and others of God's abundant life. It's not just something that affects the one who is lazy. It affects those around them. Will you join me in a word of prayer? 
Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are here in this place. God, I pray that you would open up our eyes and our ears and soften our hearts to what you have for us, Lord, as um, some of this might be uh, encouraging that we're not falling into these things, and some of this will be really challenging and convicting. So, Lord, may we respond to what you have to say to us um, today. I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in two different sections in Proverbs, Proverbs 26 and Proverbs 6. So Proverbs 26 and Proverbs 6. And we're going to be looking at the the character of someone who is a sluggard. So that's a term we're going to hear a lot. Uh, Someone who is fully capable of doing things, but is choosing intentionally not to do those things. And so the sluggard in the Proverbs, we're not going to read all the verses, but sluggard will often be contrasted to the diligent that Lazy hands brings poverty like the sluggard, but diligent hands brings wealth in Proverbs 10. So we see sluggard versus diligent. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to read these verses in Proverbs 26, starting in verse 13, and then we'll be in Proverbs 6, starting in verse 6 in a few moments. But we're going to look at these descriptors of the sluggard and then attach principles of how we may take that mindset and apply it to following God. And so seven symptoms of laziness in following God. I'm going to start by reading Proverbs 26, verses 13 through 16, and then we'll look at different symptoms that bear itself out of this. Verse 13 says, A sluggard says, There's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hitches, so a sluggard turns on his bed. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. We're going to go take a few of these at one point in time. Verse 13, when it says, there's a lion in the road and a a fierce lion roaming the streets. A symptom that might reflect for us that we are not taking our walk with God as seriously or diligently as we should is this idea that we often, we make excuses for not going where we need to go. We make excuses. So when the sluggard is on the bed, it's like, hey, why don't you go to the market and purchase these things? Why don't you go out to the fields and work like you're supposed to? And they say, no, 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 there's a lion out there. There's going to be a lion that is roaming the streets. I'm just, I'm just safer to stay here. And, and they make an excuse that could there be a lion? Yeah, maybe, but somehow all the other people in the community aren't able to, aren't having to worry about that. It's, it's an excuse that doesn't make sense, but it's something that it's an excuse a sluggard makes to stop them from doing and going where they need to go and doing what they need to do. Now, when it comes to like a physical idea about this, that like a physical laziness or something where we just want, don't want to do something, uh, this would be, we'd make an excuse to say, you know, I don't, I don't want to go to the doctor. Like, you know, I don't, I'm not going to go to the doctor. Maybe it's the dentist. And you say, you know, I'm not going to go to the dentist. Every time I go to the dentist, there's a problem. But yet the reason there's a problem is because I never go to the dentist, right? Like we have these cycles that we go through. Or maybe it's, hey, I'm, I don't want to go to the gym. And so we make up excuses to say, oh, I would, I would love to go to the, to the gym, but, you know, it's cold outside. And then I say, welcome to San Diego. It's never that cold. And so we have these reasons where they come up and we say, no, I'm, I, I can't do that because you know, there's a lion out there. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be tough. And I'm afraid. But God does not give us a spirit of fear, right? Like we can't let the fear of what might happen stop us from doing what we ought to do. And so 
We can't have a spirit, of spe- a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. That Power, love, and self-discipline, they fly in the face of laziness and they guide us on the path of diligence in order to make sure that we are able to move forward and say, we don't make excuses. So maybe on the physical side, it's the gym or it's the um, doctor, the dentist, but on a spiritual side and our following God and walk with him, it might be something where it's, we make excuses for not coming to church consistently. Like if we're out of town, like I get that. If there's things that are really important, I, I, I get that. But coming to church is an important part of being in the community and worshiping God together, building relationship with one another. And so if we are looking for reasons and excuses not to go, then we're missing out. And part of me just wants to give you all like, gold medals for coming here on Super Bowl Sunday and not using that as an excuse for not coming, right? Like, we could come up with reasons to, to, to not come. And is church the be-all, end-all of a walk with God? No, absolutely not. It's a vital part, though. What does Hebrews say? Hey, as long as it is called today, keep meeting with one another. What does Acts 2 talk about? How they came together for fellowship and the breaking of bread and the, the apostles' teaching and for prayer, You know, we look at these things and it's this idea, maybe it's the idea of we make excuses not to go to church. Maybe we make excuses not to go to our small group or to join a small group. Maybe we make excuses not to have coffee with a friend who we know needs to hold us accountable, a trusted person who can point and speak truth to us even when we don't want to hear it. Or maybe we make excuses to not grab coffee with someone who doesn't know Jesus yet because it's gonna be hard. And it's easy for us to make excuses, to not go where we need to go, to not do what we're called to do. And then it's like, well, I, you know, I, can't, I would love to, but I can't. You know, there's a lion out there. But in reality, it's because it's easy to just be comfortable and not to wanna to step out. So sometimes we make excuses for not going where we need to. Does that mean there are valid reasons not to come? Yes, I get that. But again, a sluggard is someone who has the ability to do something and chooses not to. When we have the ability to come, small group, church, whatever it may be, do we choose to do so or do we choose not to? And yes, I get the the fact that I'm speaking this to all of you who are here at church and I'm not trying to make people who are listening online feel bad about listening online later, but is church worship a priority in your life? Is attending a small group or a round table or a Bible study, Sunday school, is that a priority in your life? Is being around godly people who will shape you and sharpen you like iron sharpens iron, is that a priority in your life? And is reaching out and building relationship with people who don't know Jesus yet so they may one day, is that a priority in your life? Number two. Verse 14 of Proverbs 26 says, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. This very clear word picture of just someone who's rolling over and over and over and never actually gets up. See, we confuse, inside our notes, we confuse relaxation with true rest. So we fail to learn the rhythm of work and Sabbath. We think that just sleeping more will actually give us the the true kind of rest that we need, but just staying on the bed and never getting up does not provide more rest. We might be less sleepy, but that unrest in our soul does not get placated by more sleep in our bed. 
I remember journaling several years ago and just feeling like, I don't know if you ever had this, it's the end of a long day, and you just want to turn on the TV, you just want to mindlessly scroll uh, on social media, you just want to turn your brain off because it's been going for so many hours. And so we say, you know, I just, I just need to relax a little bit. I just need to unwind and relax. And I remember journaling one time and saying, God, I just, I don't feel rested. And he, you know, through, through prayer and, and he just really spoke and he really put upon my heart this idea that like r- relaxing is mindlessness. Like turning our brain off, that's, that's relaxing. But rest, true rest, is being mindful of who God is of slowing down and prayer and contemplating in him, delighting in him, seeking after him, and not just praying at him, but hearing what he has to say back. It's this idea of being fully mindful of God. Relaxation is mindlessness. Rest is being mindful of God. And so looking at this idea that we confuse the two. So we think if I just unwind at the end of the day, that that's enough to create rest, but really we're just relaxing, turning our minds off, but that does not mean we are leaning into our relationship with God. Now, when we hear this verse, as a, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed, I, I want to be really clear that that verse does not refer to people who have like a physical ailment that makes them unable to get up. It does not refer to people if you're in the midst of like, uh, like an emotional breakdown or mental, like mental health and you're really at the, like the weight of that. It's not saying that, oh my gosh, just get over yourself and get up. What it's saying is that a sluggard, again, is someone who has the ability and chooses not to. It's someone who's able-bodied and is still just saying, nope, I'm going to stay in bed. And as a door turns on its hinges, it's giving into laziness rather than moving forward and understanding the balance of work and Sabbath, that we have a good work that we have been prepared in advance by God to do. And if you're still here right now, God is still using you. And he wants to work in you and through you. And and being lazy doesn't just rob you of the life God has for you. It robs others around you of the impact you were created to have. So if we learn how to work for six days the way that God called us to, and then we have a Sabbath for a seventh, and we rest as God rested, then we get to learn that it gives us energy for the next six. And if that true rest isn't just relaxing, but it's slowing down, it's delighting in God, it's contemplating, and it's, it's just stopping from our work, then we're able to experience a rest that gives us Sabbath experience to be able to go do the work God has called us to rather than falling for the false rest that is just mindless relaxation. The third part, verse 15 says, a sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Let me, let me just do a, a quick uh, poll here. Um, some of you will be going to uh, the Super Bowl later, Super Bowl party. If you're going to Super Bowl, you're late. Um, the Super Bowl party. Um, how many of you are rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs? Just a show of hands. Okay, great. How many of you are rooting for the San Francisco 49ers? Raise your hands. Great. How many of you are just rooting for better commercials than last year? Okay, fair, very. That's a valid vote. Um, so here's the thing. I know, I know I'm not going to be able to sway. I grew up in the Bay Area. I've been a 49ers fan my whole life. Uh, I know I'm not going to be able to sway those of you who are Kansas City fans or rooting for them uh, to go away from it. But let me just, just placate me for a moment. So... Um, when it comes, the Bible does not talk about football. Surprise, I looked it up, it doesn't. 
What I do want to encourage you, or just, you know, mention, is that uh, you look at the San Francisco 49ers, in the 49th chapter of Genesis, what it does is it talks about how Jacob is blessing his sons. And in fact, he talks about one specific son and says, the arrows of the enemy are going to attack you, but your arm is going to be agile to fight them off. The son to whom he is referring, is his name is Joseph, and who's the most famous quarterback of the 49ers? Joe Montana. What I'm saying is... No, 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 wait, no, hold on, I know. Those of you who are football fans are saying, but wait, Joe Montana also played for the Chiefs. Good point, proud of you, well done. But I will just contrast that again and say, Paul also referenced, you know, when he's talking about his own depravity, that he was the chief of sinners. And so I'm just, I'm just, I'm just throwing out what that says. For those of you who... Clearly, I'm joking. You know, I don't pray about sports, right? Like, this is a joke. I'm not trying to manipulate the Bible to say what I want. I mean, it says what it says. That's not me. Um, but I'm not trying to manipulate, right? It's just a joke. But this idea of some of you will be going to a Super Bowl party today. And I bet if you go to see the Super Bowl today at a party, not there, you will see a table. And like, there'll be table fellowship we talked about earlier. But we'll have this idea of, you know, different snacks, right? Like there's going to be like guacamole or seven layer dip. There's going to be bowls of chips. There's going to be um, chili. I mean, I don't even know. It's going to be delicious and it's going to be great. But you're going to have this food. And I just want you to picture this. You get ready. Kickoff's about to start. And you go and you are standing at the table. The game's over there. And you put your hand to grab some chips. And you say, now that's all the work I'm going to do today. I'm just going to leave it here. It makes no sense. Like the amount of laziness to not just be like, there it is. You know, it's this idea the sluggard dips their hand into the bowl, but does not bring it back to his mouth to eat. See, in our point here, it talks about this idea that we won't feed ourselves, so we expect others to feed us. People at churches and people at my old church, and you know, all the time you hear people say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to leave. Why? I'm not really being fed. And, and it's like that picture from Wally where we just put our hand out and we expect someone to feed us on demand and feed us in a cup that's easy to digest. And it's like, oh, this is, I feel great. But the truth of the matter is, is that if we don't feed ourselves, if you were to only eat once a week and you come on a Sunday morning at 1030 and that's your only meal to, of actual food throughout the whole week, you'd be incredibly unhealthy. If this is the only time God's word is being poured into you, if you're waiting for me or us to feed you, the chances are your walk is incredibly unhealthy. It's a symptom of a sickness. And some of us will say, but, but I'm going to dip my hand. I'll try to read and it's hard for me and I'll try to do it and I just I put my hand in there, but yet we don't spend time Seeking out what it means and learning more and going deeper. We check a list, but we don't check our hearts. And all of a sudden, we don't actually get the benefit of tasting to see that the Lord is good. And then we blame the Bible and God for us not growing. In the same way that I can't blame a gym for me not getting a better health. Resources are available. The opportunity is there. But are we expecting other people to feed us? rather than feeding ourselves. Let us not just dip our hand, but let us taste and see that God is good. 
The next part, verse 16, says, a sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. The last symptom from this section shows us that we think, one area of laziness is we think we're wise. We're wise enough, so we don't need to keep on learning. People say, hey, you know, hey, we're going to read, I'm going to ask us to read the book of Proverbs, one proverb a day. You say, I don't need to do that. I've read the book of Proverbs before. Okay. Or the idea of like, hey, you know, are you reading your Bible? Are, are you praying? Like, no, no, I've already prayed once. I've, I've, read my, I've read my Bible once before. I don't need to keep reading. It's, it's like the wife and the husband who the wife is really having a hard time because her husband doesn't say, I love you. She goes and talks to him and says, you know, why don't you say I love you anymore? He says, well, I told you I love you on our wedding day. And if it changed, I would have told you. Right? That doesn't work. We can't say it's happened one time and that's enough for all of our eternity. We need to show our love and walk through life together. And we need to have this opportunity where we say, I know how much I don't know. Knowledge puffs up. And so if it's based on my knowledge and I think, oh, well, here are all the facts that I know. And here's the fact that I learned how to sing all the Bible books in order. That means I know the Bible. But if we think that we're wise enough so we don't need to keep learning, then we are completely missing the point of what it means to walk with God and to grow in stature and favor and wisdom. For us to keep growing, keep learning. We've said this a couple weeks ago that not every learner is a leader, but every leader needs to be a learner and all of you have the kind of leading influence around somebody in your life. And so, a sluggard is wiser in their own eyes and say, I don't need to learn anymore. I've got everything figured out. I know I don't have everything figured out. I know I'm still growing. And if any of us think that we're done, well, the truth is that that's a sign of laziness, that we don't want to do the work of learning more. So we're satisfied from the work from the past. But God may want to do something new in and through you but we need to do the, take the effort to make it happen, to grow and to dive closer or dive deeper with him. Now that's a brief verses in Proverbs 26. I'm going to ask you to flip backwards about 18 pages, 20 pages or so to Proverbs 6, starting in verse 6. In Proverbs 6, starting in verse 6, we, we learn a little bit more about the sluggard, but at this point, he's, the sluggard is being contrasted uh, to an ant. And so here's what it says, verse 6. Uh, I'm going to read actually 6, 7, and 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Two points, one versus six, uh, part of 6 and 7 shows us this. One sign of laziness, it talks about how the ant doesn't have a commander, doesn't have an overseer, doesn't have a, ro- a ruler. One sign of laziness in our walk with God is that we need someone else to motivate us to grow. That we put the onus of responsibility on someone else. That we say, we need a commander, we need a ruler, we need a pastor to tell us how to grow. We need a small group leader to show us what a a devotional looks like. We need somebody else to make it happen for us. But the ant, in contrast with the sluggard, doesn't need someone to say, this is what you do and this is how it happens. They just know the right thing to do and they do it. And so for us to be able to say, someone else needs to motivate. Like, listen, I'm going to go to Sunday morning service, and I'm just going to wait to be motivated to do what God calls me to do. 
And if you're waiting on me or waiting on us for your growth, the truth is that that's not something, I, I wish that I could grow enough for all of you, but that's not my choice. That's not my availability. I can prepare and I can pray and we can pray about the services and you can be prayed for, cared for, and loved. But at the end of the day, you all, we all need to take to heart what we learn and apply it in our lives if we want to see fruits grow. And so there's a Craig Grove show. I've quoted him several times. He talks about in a, in a podcast we listened to as a staff and in a Global Leadership Summit uh, message a couple years ago, this idea of the difference between motivation and inspiration. There's a reason why I talked about how a command, or sorry, a lazy person waits for someone to motivate them to grow because the way that Craig Groeschel describes it is this idea that motivation has to do with a move, like you're being pushed to do something you do not want to do. And so you say, oh my gosh, my tooth hurts. Now I'm feeling pushed to go to the dentist. I don't want to go to the dentist, but I'm feeling this pain and it's pushing me to do it. That there are motivational speakers that'll try to rah, rah, and get everyone excited and then push you to go out and to do something. But in the end, if it's just a purely external motivation for us to do the right thing, then once the external motivation runs out, we will not do the right thing. We'll fall back into our normal patterns. What's comfortable? We'll make excuses. We won't feed ourselves. But he contrasts the idea of motivation, and Craig Rochelle talks about this about inspiration, that if a motivation is a pushing to do something we don't want to do, inspiration is when we, something is pulled out of us that we know we want to do. That's the right thing to do. That each of us are inspired, the spirit can be inside of us, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can inspire us to become more like Christ to live as he lived and to love as he loved and to serve as he served. And to be able to have that be something that's pulled out from in us so it's, now, it's not someone forcing us externally, it's we're being pulled internally to do the right thing, to follow the Lord, to live for him, to get into community, to have discipleship, to share our faith, to serve the world. It's inspiration that's pulling out of us. So, a person who's struggling with the symptoms of laziness would say, I'm waiting for someone else to push me. I need you to push me, pastor. I need you to push me, small group leader. I need you to push me, staff member. Whereas the diligent know the right thing to do, and it's they're inspired to do so. Then we have um, verse 8. I read it already, but I'm just going to reread it for this point. Yet the ant stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food in harvest. See, the ant understood the truth about seasons. That a lazy, when we're lazy in our faith, we only focus on what's happening in this season of life. We only see either all the blessings and so, oh my gosh, God, you've given me so much. I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna spend it. I'm gonna go, just go crazy with everything. And then all of a sudden, when I'm no longer in a season of plenty and now I find myself in a season of wanting, then I say, oh my gosh, God doesn't love me anymore. He's not answering my prayers anymore. He, he, he doesn't care anymore. And we all have those seasons. That's not a surprise. But as the ant stores away food in the time of harvest and plenty for the times of difficulty and, and, and being in wanting, are we, are you, are, am I, when we are doing well with the Lord, are we not saying, okay, now I'm good, 
I will call upon God again in the same way that I need an aspirin when I'm in pain or in the same way that I have a car jack to help me when I'm broken down on the side of the road. Do we use him as an emergency measure or do we follow him all the time and seek after him? And so when things are going well, are we diving into God's word not because we expect him to fix things, but because he is who he says he is and we want to lean into that, that we want to become more like Christ and we're receiving that right now? Are we experiencing this, this dynamic in which we are going and we're memorizing scripture when scripture is easy for us to memorize because there will be times when scripture is hard for us to open because of what we're experiencing? Are we allowing these things to, to pour into us and to set those things aside for times of difficulty? Are we building relationships now when times are good so that when times are difficult, we have people to whom we can turn and we invest? And that's not a guilt trip. That's not to put anyone down. It's to challenge us to say, in good seasons, let's put things aside. Let's store things in our heart. His word could be hidden in our heart. So that in the right time, the Holy Spirit can activate the right passage with the right verse, with the right impact that we need right now. And so I want to just take a moment, um, as we've got just a couple moments left together, I want to take a moment to kind of picture something that we have, uh, the way we see things, one way we see things uh, in the Western world, in which we, we see things often as a linear timeline, right? So I'm standing on stage right, your guys is left, and if I were to look at my life, I would say, okay, I was born, you know, July 7th, 1984, and, and you know, grew up, and all of a sudden, you know, at a certain age, my, my parents got divorced and separated, and then I ended up struggling with depression and being suicidal, and, and then I ended up coming and meeting my future wife, and she introduced me to the Lord, and, and so then I kind of got to know Jesus, and then I gave my life, I got called to ministry, and then I'm going, and, and I'm able to enjoy ministry, enjoy where we're at as life, and I would look back and I would say, oh my gosh, it's a timeline, right? And so if, if stage right, your left is the birth, and stage right, your stage left, your right is death. I don't know if I'm this close to death. I hope not. But it's one of these things where we look at it. So then when we struggle, if I'm feeling discouraged again, what's the verbiage I use and we use? Oh my gosh, I thought I was past this. I thought that that was behind me. Why am I going backwards? Because if we see things linear in a linear format, then whenever we struggle and then we struggle with the same thing again, we beat ourselves up because we think I should be better by now. I should have achieved beyond this right now. I should be past it and I shouldn't go backwards. But let me encourage you, the world, time is not a linear timeline. You know how we prove that? Because you and I don't get surprised when winter comes in December. It's a season that we know happens. We don't get surprised when our AC bill, our electric bill shoots up in the summer. Why? Because we know that that happens. It's a season of life. Some seasons last a long time. Some last a short time. But if we look and we experience a similar thing now, a similar struggle, a hurt, a habit, a hang-up, a temptation, if we experience that now, and it's something that we thought we were past in the past, then it's not that we're just going backwards, it's that God may be wanting to take us deeper and saying, okay, you sh like for me, you really want people to approve of you. Why haven't you found your approval in me yet? Let let's dive into why that's a struggle for you. 
doesn't mean I'm going backwards and reverting. Sometimes it means that he needs to take me deeper and to keep healing and filling in the gaps of wounds we experienced as kids and to show his fatherly love to be able to fill in those gaps so that now, as I'm going through different seasons, I'm gonna have times where I go forward and backward and struggle and experience and go deeper, but eventually, if I'm still walking with God, I'm going in seasons closer to the heart of the Father throughout my life. I'll still experience it in the same way we experience winter every year. But when we know a season's coming, we know how best to prepare for it. And so if we're struggling in a season right now, we lean into God, we ask for help, we reach out in prayer, we don't isolate, we associate, we get closer, knowing that in order to get me through this, I need other people, we need help. And there will be a season when I'll come back around and someone else is gonna be struggling with the same thing I was. I'm not going backwards, God is taking me deeper. And he's using me in a way to help someone else who's struggling in the same thing I've struggled with. Guys, we've been created to do a good work. And we can't do a good work if we're only thinking about what's happening right now with everything at our fingertips and getting distracted by, by and large, saying to buy everything, this is what you need to be happy. We need to be able to have the ability to see what God is doing right in front of us and prepare for what he might be doing in the future because we know not what it is, but we know the one who will be with us through it all. He is the same in every season, yesterday, today, and forever. He may not change, but the way he wants to work in us will often be different. Last part, as we close, verses nine through 11 from Proverbs 6. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. What we learn here is that specifically verse 11, it talks about this idea of how you know, poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. But one of the, one of the commentaries I want to Point reference to says this, verse 11 does not say an actual robber victimizes the sleeping man. His sleep itself robs him. In a sense, as Robert Alden says in this quote, in a sense, he robs himself by wasting away his time. That by giving into being lazy in our faith and being distracted and not leaning into the Lord and diving into him and, and having time with him, we rob ourselves of the life that God has for us. He doesn't want a half-hearted, like he doesn't want us to have life and like life, you know, kind of halfway full. He wants us to have life and life abundant, over, cup overflowing, sitting at the table across from him. And so, what does this look like? You can see in verses nine and 10, you can hear the, or verse nine, you can hear the frustration. Like, how long are you going to do this? When will you get up? And it's convicting and it's difficult, but it's necessary that sometimes we need to love people with speaking the truth, that even if it's difficult, but we speak that truth with love. When I was recently um, at my class and we had a, um, 
uh, we had someone sharing about depression uh, and anxiety and those sorts of things. This person shared uh, his story about how uh, he hit a depression and he was just stuck on his couch inside of his apartment. And this was before, you know, it was years ago, so we didn't have cell phones. And so people called his landline and just didn't pick up. And then he had a friend who knocked on the door. He sees who it was and, you know, he lets him in. He says, you know, where, where have you been? Like, what's going on? And, you know, the, the, the gentleman shares a little bit about his life and where he's at and where he's really struggling with. And he's on the couch and it's, it's, he doesn't want to get up. And his friend grabs him by the hand and says, you got to get up. We're going to go out. I'm going to take you out to get some food right now. We're going to talk about what's going on, but you got to get up out of here. So, Let's go. And he just looked at him. And this guy shared about how his friend wasn't going to stop staring, him until, staring at him until he got up. So he gets up. And he says, all right, we're going to go get some food. We're going to talk about it. But first, you got to shower. It's been a while. And so, but this idea of recognizing that needing to have that moment, sometimes we're the ones that see someone in need and we're the ones that are helping people off the couch. And we say, how long? Like, let's go. Like, stop being comfortable where you're at. Like, let's move. But sometimes we are the one on the couch and we need to let someone help us up. And so we see that that idea, that, that guy who I was sharing about, he ends up having this incredible role um, in ministry, impacting so many people who struggle with depression and speaking at all these different places and having an impact because laziness and being a slugger doesn't just affect us. It's not like a, a victimless crime or only a self-inflicted crime. It impacts so many around us because he was able to share his story and he held on to it for years. He shared his story and was able to impact hundreds and thousands of people while speaking and what kind of impact might he have missed out on if he was still on the couch? How long are you going to lay down? When are you going to get up? There's frustration for your sake and there's frustration for the sake of those around you who need you and who need God and they need God to be revealed through you. And so Frederick Dan Huntington, the one from the 1800s who shared that quotation at the beginning of our sermon, he talks about it this way. So indolence, I found out is a fancy word for laziness. So just indolence is the worst enemy that the church has to encounter. Men sleep around her altar, stretching themselves on beds of ease, or they sit idly with folded hands, looking lazily out on the fields, white for the harvest, but wear no sickle rings against the wheat. What does that mean? It brings us back to Matthew 9, 35 through 38, when Jesus is talking about the Lord of the harvest, that he's seeing the people, he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, and he's teaching the people about it, and he's healing people, but then he looks upon everybody, and this is what it says in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The harvest around you and around me is plentiful. But a lot of his workers, including us sometimes, are still on the couch. We're not feeding ourselves. We're making excuses not to do the things we should. We're waiting for someone to push us to grow. We're not 
leaning into the fact that our staying on the couch means that there are people who will stay out of heaven and never know about him. So take a look at those seven symptoms that we have on the notes. You don't do it right now. I mean, you can, but when I start to do the checklist, okay, I got a sore throat. Okay, no, it's gone now because I, you know, drank water and I'm feeling better in the morning. It was just cold outside. But when I look at the girls, I'm like, okay, she's coughing. She's achy. She's lethargic. You start to, she, she's got, you know, nasal congestion. And you start to look at the symptoms like, okay, she's sick. Some of us need to just be able to have a real honest conversation with ourselves and with the Lord, looking at these symptoms. Maybe you have one. You can work on that. Great. Maybe you have six. And you say, oh, my gosh. I'm sick with the illness of laziness that's going to rob me of the life God has. And part of the life that God has for each of us is to be part of working the harvest. See, we might look back in your notes and realize our laziness has robbed us of our role in working the harvest. We've been created to be a part of this. And if God still has a plan to work in and through you. And there are people that you can reach that I never could. And so you have the ability to say, Lord, I get that I've fallen short, but his mercies are new every morning. This is a day he's made. We can rejoice and be glad in it. We don't need to stay where we've always stayed. We can go where we've never been, but we have a God who will go with us. He will make our path straight. And we lean on his understanding, not on our own. And so do you look at those seven symptoms and you say, all right, I've been diagnosed. I'm, I'm lazy. I need to move past this. I need help in this. Ask for help. Let's lean into that, but have the inspiration to do the work yourself rather than waiting for the motivation to have someone push you externally. Because again, most of the illnesses that we talk about with cold and simple illnesses, they rob us of our health for a little while. But laziness, undetected, under the radar, we look around, we look back on our life, so we missed out on what God had for us. Laziness robs us and others of God's abundant life. Father, we thank you for who you are, Lord, and I know, God, that this can be a tough, a tough message in some ways, a convicting one in some ways, um, a challenging one, but Lord, for those of us who have given our lives over to you, then, then we know that we don't set out in a journey with you to say we're going to be lazy. We're going to just not try. But we have that fervor and we have that inspiration in the beginning. God, maybe some of us have lost our first love when it comes to you. And so if that's us, God, reignite that passion. So it's not a motivational speaker, but it's you who inspire us, who speak to us. And God, I pray that we would look and give an honest assessment of whether or not are we sick with, with laziness in our walk with you? And then what must we do to move forward? God, we thank you that Jesus could have stayed on the couch or the throne in heaven, if you will, and he could have stayed there comfortably, but he left the riches of heaven to come to the rags of a manger, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, was raised to new life so that we could experience the riches of heaven. May we be in the image of our Savior, one who puts others' needs above our own, 
one who serves and loves and leads, and one who is diligent and to fulfill the task that we were given. God, work in us and through us. Make us more like Jesus. Because it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.